0: And welcome to another edition of Lily High on Life with another really exciting guest. I have known this woman, Timmy Friend, Timmy Ruben, since I was a teenager, and she has always been such a positive, effervescent, wonderful soul. So I'm excited to talk to her today because she is, in fact, um, now Orthodox, which she wasn't when I first met her. So Timmy is an Orthodox Jewish woman who has done so many things, and her effervescence, her character, her nature, hasn't changed from her early teenage years right up to to today, where she's a mother of four, and she is a grandmother of five. Timmy, welcome to Lily High on Life. Thank you, Lily. Great to be with you. Um, Now, Timmy, you went to, uh, you grew up in Melbourne, you had a pretty... Ordinary, what we'd say ordinary life here in Melbourne. You did what everybody else did. How is it that you were also always on such a high?
1: <laughs>
0: oh, I don't know if I
1: was always on a high. Not always. Not always. But yeah, very positive, very sort of upbeat.
0: What were some of the what were some of those um, the things that you feel now looking back on your life? What are some of the things that you feel always gave you the ability? Because not always what we show is what we feel, mm. but what gave you that ability to always project something so warm and positive?
1: Um, I think um, my father was always very positive. He was eccentric but happy, even though he was, you know, a of transport boy from Germany. But Just
0: explain was, that briefly.
1: Oh, my father was a German Jew, and um, when the Nazis took over, Hitler took over. Um, his his father. Um, was killed, and his mom, before being taken to concentration camp, took him to the children's transport to the station where a colleague of his father got him on, even though he was already 17 years old. So he got on the children's transport that was going to England, so he escaped. Germany, um, when
0: it was, after that it was too late for, it, but the children got out. So there were people that were organising the escape of Jews because it was pretty eminent that the Holocaust was coming and he was fortunate enough to be on one of those transports. How exactly. Did he make, how did he make it to Australia, just briefly?
1: Um, he, w- from the transport. he ended up on the Isle of Man for a year Interned. After that, the Jewish kids were let out into London and given to Jewish families at the beginning. And his sister, Mariana, she just... I think it was just after Kristallnacht in Germany, a relative, actually the mother of Paul Gardner, came with her husband to visit the family, relatives, and my aunt Mariana, who's very attractive, she gave a picture of herself... (laughs) a beautiful picture and she said just please I need to get out of here I'll do anything would you be able to send me papers to go to Australia
0: I'll clean floors I'll babysit I'll do anything and they did wow Another amazing story of which there are so many. So your dad made it to Australia with her? Uh, No,
1: she came straight from Germany to Australia. He went with the Kinders Transport to England and was in England for a few years, where he he worked in the day then in London and became an optometrist at night. And then a few years later, um, he actually met my mother in Habonim in London, and he went on one of the ships. Um, with your mother once they were married? No, they married here. He went by himself. He was almost on the Denira, but he was going out with another girl, and so he missed the denira. Um Then there was the Anadora Star, he missed that one too because he was out for the night. But then he <laughs> caught another ship to Australia
0: where his sister was and then my mother followed him. She actually followed him out. Yes. How What a gorgeous story. I don't think I've ever heard any Holocaust story where... Somebody was supposed to leave Europe, but was no. was was dating.
1: <laughs> well, he was safe. He was in England. I mean, yeah, of course. Look, there were bombs. He told me about dances that they had while the bombs were falling in London, but they were pretty safe in London. <laughs> it was gorgeous.
0: He was um, always a ladies' man. Now you then. What was it that um, that got you to think about converting to Judaism, because being Jewish, you can be Jewish, you don't have to be observant, you don't right. have to be orthodox, right. and this was pretty much your background for all your growing years. What was it that actually got you to um, to consider becoming orthodox?
1: Um, becoming observant was never actually part of any plan. Not at all. Not at all. So what was it? Well, I was searching. I've sort of, you know,
0: done the sex, drugs, you know, the whole party scene, like all of us. Well, now that you mention it, yes. <laughs> um, and so what, what, you know, and what what was it, well, having, especially having gone through all of that? You were very, uh, you had a lot of leeway mm, in your growing years, much definitely. more so. Oh, much more than most of my friends. My parents were really
1: permissive. But it, being so permissive and having such a great time, but there were very few boundaries. And after a while, I, I needed more. Uh, not just boundaries, I was looking for something more. I knew there was more out there. My father was always a very spiritual person. He was always talking about life after life and the soul and that there are different dimensions occurring simultaneously. He used to go to gurus and meditation seminars and I'd often go with him, but none of it actually satisfied me. But I was searching and then one day... Through a girlfriend that came back from Israel who became religious, who became observant. To uh, cut a long story short, but I I was living with my friend Sharon and in Peel Street, Windsor, and there was a knock on the door and I was in the shower at the time. And in those days, I just put on a towel and went to the door and in front of me was a Lubavitcher.
0: And <laughs> that's, that's an Orthodox Jewish man who looks like an Orthodox Jewish man. Exactly.
1: To cut a long story short... My girlfriend had come back from Israel Orthodox and so I saw that he was Orthodox so I hooked them up so she would have somewhere to go for Shabbat for the Sabbath meals and then after a while they invited me and through a long story I met a Hasidic rabbi called Reb Zalman Serebranski.
0: He was an elderly Hasid so Hasidic um, really means it, not just Orthodox, but from a particular sect, um, a particular Orthodox sect. How old were you? At the time, I was in my... Oh, I was about 26, 27. So you'd, you'd sort of been dating. You were at that stage. You'd been to these things with your dad where you actually listening and taking in and having discussions with your dad about this sort of thing yes yeah so i mean was...
1: from when i was a child my father used to sit on my bed putting me to sleep and we would always have deep spiritual discussions really he used to say to me that nobody really dies Only the body dies, but the soul never does. It goes on to a journey to another dimension.
0: Now, your mother was a pretty prominent, pretty professional pretty powerful woman. Was she also into all of this as well? Look, she wasn't so much into the spiritual side, but with my mother,
1: every second word was Jewish or Jewish community. She was such a high-profile person in the Jewish community as senior social worker at the Jewish Welfare Society. And I always, always saw her every night going to Jewish welfare meetings or B'nai B'rith meetings, and she encouraged us to go to Habonim and... Everything was Jewish, 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 Jewish. And I also always saw my mother helping and connecting people.
0: And so Jewish was more cultural than actually following rules of Orthodox Judaism for you.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we had Friday night. We always had, you know, lit the candles on Friday night at some time on Friday night. And we always had challah. But and and we always had the family together, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and celebrated Pesach, and we actually went to the temple, the the, the Reform, Reform synagogue. synagogue. Yeah, they, my is... mother was a big.
0: Macha in the the Reform Shul. This is um, a little surprising for me in terms of the spirituality component because I only came to it much, much later and now it's my life. So to, um, and we never talked about things like that. We just lived life and we had fun and we, you know. But so tell me a little about these conversations and about this, Um, other aspect of life that you were so um, familiar with but you didn't share it outside or were there certain people you shared it with or how did it all how did you um, integrate it to where you were really looking for something spiritual but it wasn't Mm -hmm. something that you talk about with people I guess it was just part of my relationship with my father
1: that he was always this ethereal, artistic, uh, spiritual person and um, when I used to go into bookshops instead of going to the books in the fiction department I always went to the part of the library where the books were about the soul and where the soul goes and traveling about spiritual traveling astral travel astral traveling and i had some experiences myself with astral traveling and um it was just the 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 jewish jewish side was very much my mother but the spiritual side was more my father so when i met Reb Zalman he encompassed the two and I'd also only had one grandparent, my grandmother, who was also German. She was the only grandparent I had. And when I met Reb Zalman, the first thing he did was he taught me from a book called the Tanya, which is spiritual Hasidic philosophy. And the first chapter is the makeup of the soul, where part of it is animal and part of it is spiritual and that there's two a war within all of our souls um, trying to get sovereignty over the soul and he taught that when you do a mitzvah that then the godly soul is the one that gets strengthened and that's how you beat the animal soul. And at that time of life, my life, my animal, my animal soul had been running amuck for many, many years and frankly I was quite sick of it, Lily. Mm-hmm. I'd had enough and I knew that it
0: wasn't making me deeply happy. And that's amazing because from the outside it was like, well, we want to hang with Timmy because she's always having so much fun, and she's always enjoying everything so much. <laughs> look, it was ju- look. I was, and I'm st- oh, obviously very happy now. But I always was a happy person. But I don't think I was. Fulfilled. What it sounds like is that you're actually twenty years ahead of us uh. because you had that maturity—that's that spiritual maturity— mm. together with what you were doing. I don't know if I was mature, Lily. I'm not sure. I think I was a bit immature. Well, people would question if you're mature now, but you <laughs> obviously, but you obviously very much are. So now, yes. <laughs> now, yes. When it looked like you were heading towards this. Orthodox Judaism yes. thing, how did your parents respond? Because this was very foreign to them as well. Oh, they were so supportive. They were so
1: happy for me. And when I ended up then going overseas and um, ending up in a, in a seminary for Jewish women in New York with Jewish girls from all over the world who had been influenced by spiritual Judaism. A yeshiva. It was a yeshiva for women. And as soon as my parents found out, they were delighted. And Really? Absolutely. Both of them, both of them were absolutely delighted. And I remember my mother, as soon as I became religious, she decided to make her kitchen kosher when she knew, after a few years, that I was coming home
0: so that my family could eat at her house. So was it, was it an up, just purely uplifting for you to be in this community, which was all ultra-orthodox, or was it also oh. a little difficult or strained? At the beginning, it was exciting but awesome,
1: and awesome in a way like I didn't know if I'd be able to hack it for too long. I thought, look, I'll try it on for size for a month. I thought I'll just, I'll go off everything. It's like going on a diet. Like It's like hardly talking to a man. It's It was like eating kosher, which I thought, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to keep this up. And throwing myself into the learning of Hasidus, of Gomorrah, of Chumash, of learning how to daven, to pray to fill up classes, governing classes, and it was sort of one step
0: forwards and, one, and two steps backwards. I mean, now all of that learning, was it more a, wow, this is really interesting, or was it more a, gosh, now I can see how it all fits into life? It was both. It was, that's very deep, Lily. It was both.
1: It was, It was the Hasidic philosophy, which is called Hasidus, was everything that I was looking for. It is is so deep and it is so deeply spiritual. It was like a thirsty person in the desert that was desperate for water and was searching and searching and finally that thirst was being quenched. On the other hand, it was also a bit... Strange, being in an ultra orthodox community where everybody was like black and white. The men were all wearing black hats and white shirts, and the women were all very modestly
0: dressed. And that was also a big strain of having to dress modestly. What was it like relating to the these women that were now your new friends? Well, in the yeshiva, they were similar to me, but a little bit further along the line.
1: We were all balaytshuva, which means uh, the master of return I wouldn't say that I'm a master of anything but Bal Shuvah is somebody that changes their life and becomes observant and goes back to their roots so in the yeshiva the girls were very similar, some were American some were Italian, some were Russian some were Israeli, we were all at different stations but on the same train whereas in the community of Crown Heights in Brooklyn, New York that was real culture. Culture shock for me, a uh, real culture shock. But because Chabad as a movement is into outreach, even though I was wearing a harlequin dress from Goa in Indi- India and in a yellow and white striped jumper, making me look like a lollipop, in that surroundings in that area, everyone was understanding and welcoming.
0: Did you share stories with the girls that were learning with you about what their backgrounds were? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, there were actresses from LA, from California that realised that that life was a bit empty. There were Russians. There was an Italian woman, girl that was converting to Judaism. There was um, tough Israelis that somehow started seeing the light, Um, a lot of Americans from every
0: state in America. There was English. There was hardly any Australians, actually. It sounds like an amazing environment, but Uh obviously something that you'd been preparing for since you were younger. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know I was preparing for that from when I was younger. I had no idea, not in my wildest dreams, but it was the most wonderful cocoon-like experience where it was in some ways where emotionally all the teachers who were brilliant, the headmaster, the male teachers, the women teachers, they were the creme de la creme, of, of Hasidic teachers women role models not only did they have 10 kids or 11 kids but they were also running the community they were head of different organizations they were powerhouses and the men also they were men that I could really look up to and respect with incredible
0: Torah knowledge and it was exciting Timmy, how is it that through all of this, you you you're sort of fully immersed? It's a community that you that is so different. You're becoming more and more in, enamored with it, and so you can see yourself going down this path. But you don't intrinsically change as a person and a human being. You keep the same sense of humor. You could, you know, it's mm, you don't mm. become. A sheep, one of the, you know, just just trying to emulate exactly what you see.
1: Right, right. Look, a lot of very, very sincere Balei Tshuva, people who return to Judaism, do swing from one side right over to the other for a while because they so much... Uh, don't want to go backwards. So they do a 360-degree turnaround. I never managed to do that. I sort of only, only, I think, went 180 degrees. I became observant, and I'm still growing. I hope I, to grow more and more and more. But somehow with my personality, well, one of the teachers said... When becoming observant, take your own personality into that. You don't have to become somebody else. Mm. And I couldn't anyway. Even if I tried, I couldn't (laughs) become anybody else. I just, I wouldn't be able to
0: do it. (laughs) And and we're glad you couldn't. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Lily. And then they found you a perfect husband. Yes. Yes, that was a miracle. Now, you would think think they would want to put you with somebody who had been orthodox all of his life to reinforce (laughs) what it was that you were learning. So just talk a little bit about how that didn't happen, thank God. (laughs) Look, it wouldn't have worked anyway.
1: (laughs) I think most of the guys that were born into it wouldn't have... Considered me or had much in common with me, whereas a lot of ballet Chuva, not always, but many ballet Chuva marry ballet Chuva because you've got that secular background of in course. common. And when I met Kalman, which was through a matchmaker it was a shidduch, it was through a matchmaker and it was v- it was even on the first phone call before we even saw each other we realized how much we had in common because we were both sort of hippie wild, wild hippieish um a little a little different you know but spiritual seekers um, I still get chills when you're talking about it. <laughs> um, would do things to the nth degree, sometimes to the point of being ridiculous and always uh, nearly killing ourselves, especially me. I mean, remember in India when I was in a, on a motorbike being chased by a bikey gang. Don't ask me <laughs> why, but I, you know, I nearly ran off a cliff and just got out of India by skin of my teeth. I mean, did for me, it was always on the edge, wanting to be more... More and more and more on the edge, and interestingly enough, finding Torah and Mitzvahs—it's it's the it's another edge, but it's a secure edge, and it's deep and meaningful. But it's also on the edge because you're striving to do things that that's, ha- that's hard but fulfilling, and some of the mitzvahs are not logical, and you're really, really growing in leaps and bounds, especially at the beginning, especially when you're starting.
0: So, Timmy, for me personally, I mean, I've always been Jewish. I've always had, I went to an Orthodox school. I've got Orthodox friends. You did and I didn't. Yes. And I really respect all of that. But having to keep all these rules and regulations was so (laughs) off-putting to me. What was it that really got you into it Mm. and, and, and gave you the... The, the will that to, to keep doing it to keep and to keep going. going. When, you, when you, I mean, just even now the concept of having every part of my life mm. dictated how it mm. should be, I just couldn't imagine it. Lily, that's a very clever
1: question, very clever question, especially for somebody that was a,
0: as undisciplined as myself. Yes. Because I was disciplined, you weren't. And you're the one that's now embracing all of this stuff. Explain it to me. Because, okay, Lily, so because within the boundaries
1: of Judaism, I found freedom. By doing the mitzvahs, by keeping Shabbat strictly and by keeping all the laws as strictly as I can by keeping kashrut strictly even though at the beginning it was up and down but now very very strictly you find freedom it's like when a ballet dancer it's practices and practices and practices, and then they get that pirouette completely perfectly. They feel some sort of freedom. So you know what the goals are. You know what the goals are, but also in Judaism, once you start keeping them, you start to see the world through different glasses. You spiritual, Spiritually, things start happening and you feel God in your life much more acutely. I don't know how it works, but by keeping the laws strictly, somehow it becomes freeing, really freeing, so that, and in my case, it was only by, by becoming from and keeping all the mitzvot, etc., etc., that I found out that I was actually good at anything. I didn't think that I had any skills and then I found out exactly who I was, what I was good at. When I was in the yeshiva in my in my little room, in a basement in Crown Heights, I, I started to write songs and then in the yeshiva they would perform them. I, I wrote a Purim play and then all the girls took the different Characters and we've, I had no idea. I was so busy running that I didn't know who I was and I had no discipline, and it got me actually nowhere. And then, as soon as I had those boundaries of mitzvot and Torah, everything came to me. I was offered to run a mikvah, I was offered to become a prison chaplain. It was only when I became this stable person with direction that my mission in life came to me. And everybody has a mission. Every single individual, every Jewish person has a particular soul and their particular individual body and nobody else has that combination. And they've all, you, and I can see what your mission is, You've, that's how you find your mission. For me, it was through Torah and mitzvot that I found
0: what my mission was. Timmy, I know that your husband, Kalman, studies a lot. Do the two of you talk about this and discuss these sorts of things together at night? Oh, absolutely. We we go for walks
1: nearly every Saturday night after I finish in the mikvah. And it's always what we talk about. We talk about our pasts and or what brought us to where we are now. And then he, who's much more learned than I am, always talks about spiritual concepts. And when we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu or, or, or Yitzhak Yaakov, Sarah, Rifka, Rachel, Leah, they're, we, they're alive. They're, they're not, not just, people. just pe- people of the past. They're now, and we're now talking about them and being with them and trying to emulate them.
0: And just my apologies for those that don't know, a mikvah is a ritual bath. It's um, within orthodoxy, a woman, um, when she finishes her period, needs to go to a mikvah or this ritual bath to be symbolically cleansed. And spiritually cleansed. Spiritually cleansed and before she gets married.
1: And every month... um, to be be able to have relations with her husband,
0: so it's it really is a very spiritual thing. So now, from a place where you are a mother and grandmother, and you look back on the childhood that you had, which you obviously didn't um, <laughs> do with your kids, how do you... What is it? What do you think the process is, spiritually, for having gone through what you went through?
1: Um, I have no... I have no big regrets. No, there's a few things I regret. Not regrets. Not regrets. No, it's, no. It's learning from what what I went through actually helps me become
0: so excited from the by the life that I have now. Now, I know both of your parents have passed, and that's a very, very difficult situation, no matter what age you are, no matter what age they are. And you were amazing with both of oh, your parents, even you. though they'd separated and divorced. Right. Your mother had remarried. Right. What was that time like, those, those last months? That, because we never know what, when the final date is. Mm. But could you talk a little bit, especially with the spiritual background that you have, about what it was like? It was like
1: most people who have elderly parents, it was quite agonising. Uh, watching my father had very very severe dementia and he lived next door to me and i used to look after him and had people staying there looking after him and then he had to go to a home because the dementia was so bad but and then with my mother also after he passed away i was looking after Mum, and she ended up in emmy monash she had a dementia also towards the end It was agonising watching them, but then I kept thinking, what does God want? Why is God, Hashem, doing this? And then I was thinking, maybe they looked after us, so now we're meant to look after them and usher them into the next dimension. And that made it much easier for me. Being a religious Orthodox Jew, I... I believe that everything comes from God. There's no such thing as a coincidence or an accident. So it was easier for me to go with it and just be there for them and nurture them and hug them and kiss them and stroke them and organize whatever I needed to organize because I realize it's part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. So it was easier to accept.
0: And even perhaps time that you could properly have enough time to say mm. goodbye oh absolutely lily absolutely absolutely over and over and over because when we bring children into the world mm. we know when they're coming and it's exactly exciting. exactly it's never the right time to let to go of good. anyone you love let alone your parents it's true that's really true. So what's the life lesson you learned from your mother?
1: Oh, my mother, she was just all give. She was all give. She would give and give and give, and she loved it. And I saw it made her high. It made her happy. She loved connecting people. She loved adopting up ba- adopting babies to families that they thought would fit. She loved... Putting people into home, like instead of being an institution, into a group home, and she did what she did made her happy. Made her happy. She was always giving and helping, and I think I learnt so much from her, from when I was a baby on her hip. And I think your dad a bit the same, yes. My dad, oh look, he was just a, a all loving, positive, very unusual father, (laughs) very unusual, but highly intellectual, which I loved, but he also loved people. And um, he was like, he was on another planet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned that you, uh, the mikveh. we talked about, the ritual baths, but you also visit prisoners, Jewish prisoners. Right, I've been doing that for about... 25 years as a Jewish
1: chaplain. There's a whole group of us but I'm the only woman chaplain and I was visiting men and women. Now there's one woman that I visit every week for the last eight years and um, it's something that also Calman has also my husband Calman has also been very involved in the old days um, we were allowed to be involved in court cases and bail and when they were on bail, they would come to our place for the Sabbath meal and we helped in as many ways as we could and we got close to many, you know, they were never dangerous. (laughs) They were never a danger to our children. I would not, the ones that I brought home, you know, were always wonderful
0: people, interesting, unusual. And it sounds like this is another area that you were just really surprised at how good you could be at it.
1: Look, I don't know how good I am, but it's something that I really found meaningful and purposeful and reminded me of my mum. I remember when she was cooking dinner in the old days and there was an alcoholic man that used to call, and mum was so busy, so I used to talk to him, and I loved it. I I thought, oh my God, this intelligent man wanting to talk to a young girl like me, and I know nothing, and we had interesting conversations, so it it, it was like
0: that. I like meeting unusual people. Timmy, do you get really angry or upset very often? (laughs)
1: Oh, I get sometimes worried. I think I think that when you have kids and grandkids, there's often a lot to worry about. Um, occasionally, you know, I'll get hurt or upset, but I've got a pretty high disposition most of the time.
0: But, look, I'm human, you know, things get me down too. And that's important as well because yeah. as, as much as you're so positive and, and upbeat so often... Every single person has times when they're down a little bit. Absolutely, it's absolutely. Just, how do you get out of it when you feel a bit down? Oh, I often talk to my husband, Coleman,
1: and if he's not around or if we've already exhausted the conversation, it'll be with my best friends. Yes. It's always talking to friends. Always talking and to you friends. You have
0: a lot of friends that you've had from childhood. Oh, definitely,
1: definitely. Being becoming observant didn't affect any of that.
0: Jewish and non-Jewish friends. Both, both. So, how do you? What is it that allows you to maintain such long-term relationships? What is it that you believe mm. about yourself and about people? Look, it's all about investing. You know, if
1: you invest yourself in a, in a relationship, it's forever. If you really love somebody, it's forever. And especially now that I don't have parents anymore and my sister lives in Israel. So I make my friends my family. Mm.
0: So family, uh, friends of the family that you choose to love exactly, is and they're song. the ones you choose exactly. So there's so much
1: security, and love, and enjoyment being with people that get you. So I've got different circles. I've got the non, the old friends, and I've got um, different older friends who are not observant at all, Jewish, not Jewish. Then I've got my from friends. So it's beautiful to have, you know, different friends fulfill different needs. And I love having
0: friends from all different areas of my life. And it's great to have mm. and even to recognize that yes. you have different needs. Exactly. You're, it's not, nobody is a one-dimensional person. Exactly, Lily. And it's, that. now you have brought forth these Four amazing <laughs> children. Oh, thank God, who <laughs> have all cho- chosen to be Orthodox right. and to remain Orthodox. Right. That kind of pleasure or nachas. that that you get from that yeah that's amazing Talk a little bit about that and the rewards in that oh
1: look uh, look even if they weren't observant i would still love them just as much i once you love your child you know child you, you you hope and you want the best for them and you like them to to grow up in the way that you've You know, nurtured them, but if they didn't, I would love them just as much. But I do derive a lot of nachas. I would say our most observant—they're all—they're all all religious. They're all chabad, but Ari, our eldest, is the rabbi of North Queensland, and he's definitely the. For Strictus, he's like my husband, Calman. He's very, very observant and loves it and into outreach. And he and his wife, Mushki, have started an incredible community in Cairns and go to Townsville and Mackay
0: and Early Beach and Port Douglas. But they're stationed in Cairns. And there's a documentary that you have to look up, which is the best documentary <laughs> I have ever seen. Called The Outback Rabbis. The Outback Rabbis. I look up. Outback rabbis, Google it. It <laughs> is so good and entertaining. Yeah, 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 it's amazing. Um, so he's the
1: dark one. He's the dark rabbi <laughs> in that film. Um, then there's Sarah. Sarah, and she's married to Adam from Adelaide, Adam Chodoznik, and they've got two uh, two children, and they're definitely in the Chabad Community, yes, yeah, hundred percent. And then there's Michal. She's our single, <laughs> single Just daughter for now. for now, for now. Please God, not forever. And she's you know Chabad, a bit modern, but definitely a Chabadnik. And she's a character. She's living the, living the life in New York at the moment. And absolutely, absolutely. And A a charming, beautiful, incredible soul, Michal. And the youngest one. And the youngest one, Yoni. He became a rabbi, but he doesn't want to work as a rabbi. He's now studying law here. And I'm
0: just crazy about all of them. So um, you were saying that even if they weren't orthodox, you would still love them and you would still care for them. Of course. Talk a little bit about that acceptance of people, who they are and where they are, and some of your involvement in the non-Jewish community as an orthodox woman? Um, you mean... I mean... Um, your you, your kids did follow in your footsteps and that's wonderful and you do a lot of outreach work right. within the Jewish community. And they,
1: and they they were always very comfortable with everybody because we had prisoners, we have non-observant family, we have non-observant friends so it was who it were very- like their aunties and uncles. So they were brought up in such an eclectic eclectic. Household where we were the From family, but all the aunties and uncles and cousins were not. Some in Israel and some here, and somehow it 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 made them all rounders, but also it entrenched their Yiddishkeit, their Judaism. Right, it made, made them... it stronger
0: in a way. And is there a difference with the way that you work with? the Jewish community, which is obviously, you know, the mikveh and all of that, and the prisoners, you see, they're all Jewish, and I know you also have interactions with the non-Jewish community, sure. not only here in Melbourne, but also in America when you go back to right. where your husband is because right. his family was not orthodox right. as well. Right, right. What is there, is there, and I'm very much appreciate that you always are who you are um, but at the same time You are who you are, but is there a difference with the way that you interact with, say, people in the Jewish community and people outside the Jewish community? And especially with um, work experiences or um, not necessarily, sorry, but what I'm getting at is not even necessarily a way of explaining your Judaism to people who are not Jewish. That's not it at all. Right. It's like... Being an Orthodox Jewish woman, you're just a normal woman. You happen to be Orthodox. Right. And so how do you find that in interacting with people who are not even Jewish? Right.
1: Funnily enough, I just feel comfortable with everybody. I don't I don't see so you divisions. Don't see no, I don't really see divisions. I'm, I'm I'm aware of who's Jewish and who isn't and who's Orthodox and who isn't, but but it doesn't define people or change
0: the way you interact it's with them, not which at is all. a really wonderful not thing. Not at all. Not at all. And that's really one of the uh, one of the really terrific things about you oh, and the way you. that you've been. So thank how you. do you find um, America and going to America? Um, I love going
1: because we go first of all, we go always go back to New York to where it all started for me. You know, becoming observant, we go back to Crown Heights. We've also got our daughter Michal there, so it's wonderful to see her and go to all the fantastic kosher restaurants. Go to the grave of the Lubavitcher Rebbe where we pray. See all our old friends. Go to just the synagogue.
0: Just, just describe, just very briefly, the concept of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who he was, and how his grave now is still. 25 years after his death, um, a a place that people come to? Oh, look, a Rebbe is not just a rabbi.
1: A Rebbe is, oh, he was a giant of a man, a spiritual leader of a whole generation, like the Moses of our generation. That's why we Lubavitchers look at the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I was just so blessed to be there, and to be able to see him and interact with him for those, about, you know, the
0: four years when I was living in New York so the, and the belief really, is, And he really did give away dollar bills to oh, everybody that came to see him. Every Sunday
1: he would give to encourage charity or tzedakah, which really means righteousness, but to encourage people to give. So you'd go past and he'd say something and he'd give you money. When we went to Australia we got a blessing for coming to Australia and he gave us dollar after dollar after dollar and our, our Ari who Was a little baby at the time. He was a three year old. He just kept giving him dollars, dollars, dollars. He was a spiritual giant. And they say of Tzaddikim, a Tzaddik is a righteous person. And he was one of those Tzaddikim. There were not many in the world. And they say that with a Tzaddik, that when they pass into the other dimension, that they have even more power. So everybody who follows him. In the paper, recently on, on Facebook, I've been reading that non-Jews and supermodels and actresses actually also go to the grave of Ulubavitcha Rebbe and write a note and put it into his
0: grave and ask for blessings. These are non-Jews. Mm, as, uh, I just feel that... it Naomi that Campbell. This, yes, this, yeah. this new level of spiritualism that's yeah. generally coming into awareness is really what it's all about. And for me, and the reason for Lily high on life, (laughs) is it's like, for me, it's a spiritual thing, but it's simpler than that. It's more about you don't have to be... Unhappy for a moment. It yeah. really is exactly. up to you. Exactly. You decide. You're in charge. You're in control. Exactly. Look, things happen. Difficult things in life can happen.
1: They always happen. Everybody's got something. There's always ups and downs. But we have a choice of how we deal with it.
0: So, Timmy, you um, you've you've had these children. You've got more and more grandchildren coming. Alavai. <laughs> you're traveling. <laughs> Are there things that are there still things that you